0: Week and prayerfully this week, he was teaching his disciples that certainly the crucifixion was very near, and the resurrection and the first fruits, Jesus being the first fruits of the resurrection, was very near. It's hard to believe at this portion, you know, as I said in chapter 9, the you can't miss it in the Gospel of Luke. It just the shift so quickly, so directly focused on preparing those disciples because of the urgency of of the fact that Jesus knows he's going to ascend into heaven and send the helper, the comforter that way. But in preparation for that, knowing that he's going to the cross, um, the crucifixion, wanting to prepare those disciples as much as possible for the ministry that needs to be done on earth. And because of just the urgency, if you're taking notes in your Bible, right around verse 49, you're about six, uh, maybe six and a quarter months out. That's all that's left of Jesus' public ministry on, you know, on terra firma here, okay, 2,000 years ago. He's going to the crucifixion. I mean, he, he's, he's only about, chapter 10, it's exactly six months out to the point of verse 1. So, I mean, there's an urgency to this. It's not like, oh, I've got another year or two, three and a half, three-year ministry. It's winding down, and he doesn't, he knows that, you know, God has ordained it for him to go, for that cup of wrath to be poured out on him so that all of humanity, you and I, our sins could be forgiven. And so he is really pouring in. It's, it's no longer just the discipleship boot camp like Matthew chapter 5 through 7. He's now speaking on very detailed, very heavy, if I can say it that way, uh, points and discipleship, what it really looks like so that there's no misunderstanding. I got one foot in the world. I got one foot in the kingdom. It's really, really hard when we read the Bible line by line like this to misunderstand any of that because he makes it very juxtapose, very juxtaposed. So, Let's begin here in verse 49. He had left off with, again, the boys were arguing about who was the greatest, the apostles, after he had just talked to them about, you know, put this young child in front of them. If you remember 2,000 years ago, that young child would have been, um, you know, someone that would have been overlooked by the culture, insignificant because he was a child like that. And he says, this is who's the greatest in in the kingdom of God, speaking of the modesty, the humility, the, the people that are overlooked, the, the, you know, not those that are beating their chest. I'm the great, you know, it's not, that's not what the kingdom of heaven's filled with. The kingdom of God's filled with. He says, no, it's the humility. And so here he is, and, and now we see in John, he's going he's gonna to have a moment here, and the Lord's going to work with him gently, but I think it's for all of us. He, he begins in verse 49. So now John answered and said, Master, We saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he did not follow us. But Jesus said to him, do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. So, you know, John, one of the apostles here, obviously he's walking through the town. He sees this man taking the name of Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus, and he rebukes the spirit, this evil, unclean spirit, and tells him to come out of him. What's the rub? What's wrong with that? He's delivering a person from being demonically influenced. Well, what the rub comes down to is John. <laughs> it's his heart. It's, it's, it's the heart of the disciple that comes back, the apostle here, where, hey, wait a minute. We're Calvary Chapel, right? Isn't When we get to heaven, isn't it going to just be like, okay, all, Calvary Chapel, you sit up front here. in the No, man, if anything, we're in the back, right? They're going to You guys, yeah, you guys, you 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 hippies, get in the back where you belong, right? We're just gonna be happy to be there, man, right? This idea of sectarianism, you know, it's it's not that I'm against denominations per se. I want to be very clear. I've talked about this in the past, but I've never really because we're in the Word of God right here. I've never really broken it out. It's it's only the overemphasis, you know, of any belief that competes with Jesus Christ that I have a problem with. It's the overemphasis that way. Um, Certainly, there's different distinctives, but nowhere in my Bible does it say that it's okay to preach an alternate gospel. And that's Galatians 1.6. And so Jesus Christ isn't saying, well, it's okay, you know, I want everybody to coexist and there'll be this kumbaya of pluralism. When we begin, or people begin, I should say we don't, but others could, begin to denounce the humanity or the divinity of Jesus Christ. Those are not things we can agree upon. We can't coexist in that. Somebody wants to overemphasize something in regards to one aspect that's biblical, fine. We don't need to divide over those things. those Those are secondary issues, uh, but there are certain things that clearly in Scripture, God would say, no, they contradict other parts of Scripture. So that can't be what Jesus Christ is talking about here. He's not, he's not calling for us to be pluralistic, you know? So, you know, different faith systems should all come together and we're all going to end up in heaven because you believe what you believe and I believe what I believe and there's some type of relative mishmash because people have taken this passage and we'll see, it's right there, you know? secretarianism. He's saying don't do that. That's not what he's saying because that would cause us to have to ignore other portions of scripture where God was very declarative, like I said with Galatians 1.6. The word of God never contradicts itself. Everybody understand that? We all agree. The word of God never contradicts itself. So we know that's not what he's saying. What he's really dealing with is the heart issue and the motive of, I have the only answer. We have the only way. Rather than you know, acknowledging it's the body of Christ. There's a worldwide body of believers all over the world, and they love Jesus. And some of them worship Jesus differently than we worship Jesus. And that's okay, right? And that's what Jesus is saying. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, I grew up uh, uh, Roman Catholic. Uh, many of you know I was baptized in the church, and uh, I grew up for many years, and, and I, you know, it got to the point of where... Um, I began to, uh, you know, read my Bible and and I came to salvation. My wife and I, and I think I've shared this with you before. And that was that was difficult for some of my family members because, you know, growing up Italian, being Roman Catholic, they kind of went hand in hand. It's just what you are. It's what you do, and they didn't understand. They thought, oh, you're leaving Jesus. No. This is, if you truly believe in Jesus, it's the same Jesus, right? What has been added or, you know, rituals of man is we can all debate, but it's the same Jesus we're talking about. But it wasn't received that way in my family. Unfortunately, uh, a few of our parents more or less shunned us for three years. They didn't talk to us because they thought we were leaving the faith and he said no we're actually deepening our faith we're reading the bible we're we're believing the word of god we're believing the lord and so i want to be careful because what i what i think happens is there's these extremes you know there's one extreme where we say you know I won't use your. I'll use my own words. Where you know you've heard me. I can be critical of churches sometimes. I'm critical of of pastors morally more than churches. But you know the the NAR or the New Apostolic Reformation. These things are wrong. Yeah, absolutely. When they teach an alternate gospel, absolutely. However, the pendulum shouldn't swing the other way. Where I then say, well, we are the same as. Islam, or we're the same as, as Judaism, or we're the same as Mormonism, or, or, or Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, and I swing the other direction because I, I so much want harmony. And what, what have I done? I've missed it in both directions. It's when I'm in the middle and I'm balanced and I come to Christ with decency and order and I take his word and allow his word in harmony that I begin to understand what Christ truly means when he says, you know, don't be a secretarianist. I understand. Don't turn around and infight to the point of where you just destroy our brother or sister on a secondary issue. Because you prefer to pray standing up. They prefer to pray sitting down or kneeling. You prefer to worship standing up. They prefer to worship sitting down. These are not things we have to divide over, okay? And Jesus is calling this out because something had happened in John's heart. And he's an apostle here. I, I think it's... it's it can happen to us. If we're not careful, we can look at people that are different than us and think, well, they certainly don't have the same, you know, they, they, they don't know the way. We, we, we're the only ones. We have a corner of this faith market. And we have to be really careful of that because that's not what Jesus Christ wants us to do. As a matter of fact, in verse 50, he says, do not, right, forbid him. For he who is not against us. He's not teaching an alternate gospel. He's not teaching something contrary to the word of God. He's on our side. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. There's nothing wrong with that. Now it came to pass when the time had come from him to be received up. Again, the urgency. He's focusing on the crucifixion. That he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's where He's heading. And he sent messengers before his face. Verse 52 is an important detail. Underline that in your Bible. That's going to set up the context for what's going to happen in chapter 10. Why he's going to send 70 disciples out. He's sending, at this point, more disciples out, more apostles out that way ahead of him, so they can go ahead and begin to bring the gospel, so that when he's there, the seed has been planted, and they'll believe and receive him as Lord and Savior, because he's only got, you know, so let's just say six months left. There's an urgency. He's trying to more and more people to have the opportunity to receive him while still physically here, and what have you, on earth that way. So he sent messengers before his face, and as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans, now, there's a lot of ways to go to Jerusalem, all right? You always go down, by the way. It's always going down, right? You go up to or down, right? To Jerusalem, okay? When you're going to up to Jerusalem that way, no matter which direction you're coming from, you go down, I guess you'd be going down any other direction. Second Kings chapter 17 is on Wednesday. We started to talk about this, if you're on Wednesday, with us for a midweek study. You may remember about the Samaritan people. That at one time was the capital of the northern uh, tribes of Israel and where they worshiped. It, all, it goes all the way back to when Rehoboam basically split the kingdom, okay? And what happened is you had a northern tribe and a southern tribe. The southern was Judah. The northern made up the rest of the tribes of Israel. And rather than, the king at that time, rather than turning around and saying, hey, let's all go back to Jerusalem, which God commanded them to worship, okay? Okay. He was insecure. He was afraid. What if they turn around and go back there, and then they no longer want to come back to the north and want to stay under my, you know, kingdom there like that? So he says, you know what we're going to do? I'm going to erect an altar, and we're going to start calf worship again. And that's what he actually does, and he starts the calf worship, And they start worshiping in Samaria. Samaria becomes the capital for the northern tribes, okay? So that's all being set up that way. Then what happens, 300 years less uh, than that actually, what ends up happening is because the wickedness of sin and Baal worship and all the things they were doing, they start turning to these pagan gods and finally God comes and says, no, there's going to be judgment. And he's going to bring judgment in. And he's doing that because he wants them to repent. and turn, he loves them. And so what he does is he uses a nation called Assyria. And he basically allows Assyria to come in and the king to come in and to overtake and bring into captivity the northern tribes. And he... As Assyria always did, they would take them and they would relocate them. It was part of their uh, relocation program in a, different, a totally different way than we would think of today. What they did is they would put hooks in the mouths of the men and women and then a hook to their nose. They would line them up with these chains and they would march them out of the area that they had taken them captive they would then take five or six depending nations and bring them into the same area that that previous nation had just occupied. Once they got them out to the new area, they would then take the hooks out. They understood they were slaves because if one of them tried to rebel, they'd pull the chain and that would affect all of them because it's a very you have a lot of nerves. It was very sensitive. It would affect every one of them. Once they learned that they were slaves and that there was this captivity, they weren't going to rebel, they would then take a portion. Because remember, under uh, polytheistic gods that they believed at that time in Syria, they believed in multiple gods. They would bring back a portion so they could teach the people in that area how to worship the gods, as they would say it, of that area. Okay? So they would bring back this portion of people. Then they would allow them to intermarry and intermingle, work together. And what in fact they had done is they created new people groups. Okay. And they, the reason they did all of that is to instill an instability so that they would not uprise because that was their greatest fear. What if they uprise against the king of Assyria and try to take him? right? Any of you ever seen Spartacus? Okay, you know, you've probably watched Spartacus. It was actually on the TV last night, all right? Spartacus, it's the same idea. He's trying to uprise against the Italian regiment, remember? Rome, and they end up with the whole, well, go watch Spartacus. Maybe you shouldn't, I don't know. But anyway, the point is, it's 1960. It's a little it's a little dated there. But anyway, it, it, that's what happened. It was this idea of, of reconstituting and kind of rebringing these people together. And what that did is it created what later became known at the time of Jesus as half-breeds. That's what they called the Samaritans at this time. That's why the Jews in Jerusalem of Judea, Judea, Jerusalem, that's how you get that name, that tribe of Judah, Judea, Jerusalem, they turned around, Jehu to be specific, they turned around and they said, you're not the same as us. You're not really Jews. You're some amalgamation of uh, you know Babylon was one of the five nations that were brought in, and you can go back into Second uh, Kings seventeen. You can see the other four nations there. You're some amalgamation of these nations. So you're you're like you know you're some type of half breed. You're not a real Jew, and that's why they despised them. They didn't like them. They thought that they were not purists, if you will. And they would go they would go out of their way to go around Samaria, never to walk through Samaria. I want you to see what our Lord did, though. Our Lord is going right through Samaria to get Jerusalem. Again, there was multiple ways to do that. Why? Because the Samaritans need Jesus too. Just like everyone, all of us need Jesus. Every part of the world, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, everyone needs Jesus. And so we don't ever avoid a particular area because of differences. No, we, we welcome, we go in, we give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, that explains who these Samaritans are, Okay. And at this time, again, they're just a mix of nations, okay? Now, to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Now, you read that, and without context, you might be like, well, it means he's just in a hurry and he's heading to Jerusalem. No, that's not. Do you remember how I explained early on? Their worship was different. They worshiped at Mount Gerizim in Samaria. And that's where they believe the only place to worship God was to be worshiped, not to go to Jerusalem. When Jesus is saying, I'm heading down to Jerusalem, they would have rejected that. Why can't you worship here? We have Mount Gerizim. You know, why don't you worship right here now? You don't need to go there. But he says, I have my face. I'm heading towards Jerusalem. What are they doing? Well, you know what? Then you're an offense. We're going to reject you. That's exactly what's happening here. It's the undertone of what's going on. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Now, wait a minute. What? what? <laughs> oh my, right? What, what just happened here? Um, let's, let's hold our fingers here. Let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 10. If you read, first of all, we we also understand, obviously, that's wrong. I think we all can get that. Why is it wrong? Why did Elijah, Elijah the Tishbite, actually cause fire to come down and to consume the 50 and the captains that were uh, trying to come after him? Well, it has everything to do with the king Azahiah, who was reigning at that time, and his wickedness and what he was doing. He was a king of Israel. So turn to um, 2 Kings chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 1. Now, whenever there would be a new king that would come in, and if you join us Wednesday nights, you know we're in 2 Kings. We actually read this probably a month or two ago, okay? And when you know there would be a new king as his father was Ahab, okay? Whenever there would be a new king that would come in, the surrounding nations, because they were paying tribute to Ahab, when his son as comes in, they think, you know, well, I don't need to pay him. That was an agreement I had with his dad. I don't have that agreement with him. What if maybe he's not strong? Maybe he won't enforce it. Maybe I don't have to pay the tribute. So we begin here by reading about Moab. Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. They all did that at that time. They would think, oh, you're not a strong king. I don't need to pay you. Now, as Ahiah, he's the son of Ahab, fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria, again, the capital at that time in the northern tribe. And he was injured. Now, again, lattice, they didn't have glass windows back then. They had, you know what lattice is, many of you, it looks like this. They would have it for airflow so that the house didn't become moldy or, you know, it was a way to circulate air. And what happened is, as I was sitting up there, he's probably, you know, looking outside, and he falls through the lattice and falls at least... Eight feet. We don't know if, how many stories, but at least eight feet or somewhere between six to eight feet. We're not told exactly if he broke his neck or whatever, but he was injured. Okay? It says an upper room. And he was injured. So he sent messengers and said to them, go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. Okay, so this again is a Philistine Philistine city. It's about 40 miles away. It's not right there. Beelzebub is the lord of the flies. This is quite a journey he's going to have to make. And it's certainly a pagan god. He's not going to Jehovah, the god of Israel. That's the the rub and the problem. And he says, go find out if I'm going to recover from this injury or not. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, the Tishbite, who's a prophet, and there at that time, arise and go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? So God meets him right where he's at and goes, why are you going 40 miles away? Have I not delivered you from Egypt? Am I not your God? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you've gone up, but you shall surely die. This is not what Ahaziah wanted to hear. He didn't like this. This is not not what he wanted to hear. So Elijah departed. Elijah faithfully gives this message. And when the messengers returned to him, he said to them, why have you come back? Because again, they're surprised, right? They went out. They're on their journey. Elijah kind of meets him right as they just left and says, what are you doing back? I told you to go. It's 40 miles away. That's That's days, days upon days journey. That's weeks. How could you be back already? And he turns and he says, no, no, no. No, this man met me. Why have you come back? So they said to him, a man came up to meet us and said to us, go return to the kings who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, it is because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron. Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Then he said to them, what kind of man... Was it who came up to meet you and told you these words? He says, describe them to me. I want to know who this prophet is, this man you're saying, that came." So they said to him, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. Isn't that interesting? John the Baptist, that type of Elijah, came in the same way, didn't he? It's a way they described Elijah. He knew who it was. As Ahia said, you know, Ah, Elijah, it was Elijah. So he's clearly not happy. So he said, it's Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king sent him, sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50 men. Now, do you send a captain and 50 men if you want to just uh, talk? No, you'd send a couple men, right? And, and an ambassador to go out and get him. Or do you send 50 men because you want to accomplish a deed, right? You're sending, he wants to destroy this man. He doesn't like the fact that he pronounced his sin and he's going to die, So he went up to him, and there he was sitting on the top of a hill, and he spoke to a man of God, the king has said, come down. Now the irony of it is he even says man of God. He knows who he is. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of the 50, if I am a man of God, then let the fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty men. And then he sent to another captain of 50. This goes on and on a couple times, three times to be specific. And then what happens? Finally, a humble captain comes up and goes, "Um, I don't want to be toast like these other guys. So uh, how about we do this a different way? Would you mind? Can we just talk about this whole thing? So why was Elijah causing uh, fire to come down upon the captain and these 50 men? Because they were coming out to do what? To harm him. It was defensive, wasn't it? It wasn't an aggression. It wasn't because you didn't like the color shoes or, you know, you didn't, you didn't sing the reindeer games I sing. You know, you, you didn't play along my, you know, the way I like to play. It wasn't like that. It was totally defensive. Now, please turn back to Luke. Now we have context of why fire was called down in a, in a defensive posture. Defending that he is the man of God and that his witness and what he said about Azahiah would be true. It was actually proof. But what's James and John doing? You know what? They're also called the sons of thunder. What are James and John doing? They saw this and they said, Lord, they saw what? They saw the Samaritans rejecting Jesus because he didn't, you know, they didn't, they said, no, worship here. We don't want to go to Jerusalem to worship. Why are you going to Jerusalem? So they said, do you want to to command fire to come down from heaven, consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned, he being Jesus, he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. So what are you saying? For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. You know, the reality is, as we go with the Gospels, our lives, we're epistles to be known by men and women, read by men and women. We're the only Bible somebody ever reads is our lives. And many times you will find that Christ will reject the good news. Not Christ, excuse me. The people reject Christ and the good news of the gospel, I meant to say. And it's not for us to take it personal as though they're rejecting us. Because who adds to the church daily? It's Jesus. It's the Lord. It's not you and I. We simply give the good news, we plant the seed, but it's up to, up to God and their hearts, most importantly, their hearts, where they'll receive and be added on to. And the reality is, if we stop every single time where somebody rejects it, and then we sit there and go, oh, we want to infight, or we want to fight with them, we want there are still men and women in this world that don't know Jesus Christ, that have not received the gospel of Jesus Christ, that need saving. And if we get so entrapped by those that won't receive Christ and we ignore or we don't go on to give the gospel to those who do need Christ, what happens? Those that need Jesus aren't getting the hope and the message of salvation. He says, you don't realize what spirit you're of. That's not the spirit of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord would have you to move on and to give the gospel. Let Jesus Christ deal with the rejection. You keep preaching the good news because there's men and women that need Hope that need to be saved, that need to be discipled. Now, verse 57. Well, I'll read verse 56. For the Son of Man does not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. This isn't a Salvinic text. This isn't, you, you don't go up to somebody and say, I'll follow you wherever you go. If you don't already, what? Believe in them and know who they are. This isn't a text of salvation. This, they're already saved at this point. They, they, they received Jesus. Now I want to follow you, right? They want to be a disciple, a learned one. That's what the Greek means, a learned one of Jesus. They want to follow him. So he says, look, if you're going to be a disciple, you need to understand what this entails, What it is to truly be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said to him, and I love that God doesn't keep this man's name or this woman's name in here. It's a him, so it's a he. He doesn't do that. He doesn't want to embarrass this man. His name's not kept in the scriptures for all of eternity where we get to, you know, heaven. Maybe we see the guy, maybe, oh, you're Jimmy? Jimmy, I heard about you. I read about you in, you know, chapter nine, verse 58. No, no, no. God's so gracious. He doesn't do that. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I love that. There's truth. It's honest. It describes what a privilege it is to serve him. You see that? There's no bait and switch. You know, I know some of the churches in our area, and I've heard just over the last few years, you know, they'll have these... Bible studies in pubs or they'll, they'll invite, uh, uh, you know, the youth leaders to bring alcohol. We'll have a couple beers as we do a Bible study. It's happening in our area. It's been happening for three or four years. We've had, I will tell you, we have people in this fellowship that's come out of that, that have come out of that. There's no bait and switch with the Lord. He makes it very plain and clear. It's truth. It's honest. There's a cost. Right? We're, we're not trying to be a chameleon. We, we, we blend in with the world when we're in the world. We blend with the church when we're in the church. No. That's not what it is to be a disciple. A true disciple of Christ. No. He says, look, there's no comfort necessarily. There's no guarantee, I should say, of comfort. There's, there's no guarantee of financial security or anything like that. He says, I, the son of man, you know, God. The son of God. He says, I don't even have a place he says, the animals, the creation, the foxes have a, a hole to go into. The birds have nests. He says, I don't even have a place to lay my head. Does he you want to follow after me? Are you counting the cost? Are you understanding what it really means to be a disciple? Then he said to another, follow me. He looks to another person. That's what, again, a believer already, you wouldn't say follow me if you weren't. A, follow me, right? But he said, Lord, Let me go first and bury my father. Now, again, this isn't an issue here of necessarily convenience or comfortable. Um, What he's talking about, and it's well understood, is that there's an inheritance there. And when his father does die, his father's not dead yet. When his father does die, there's going to be an inheritance left to him. And so when he gets that and he's financially secure, then I'll serve you, Jesus. When When I'm financially secure and I know I'm okay at that point, then I'll serve you because then everything's okay. And Jesus says, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Now... I think we're starting to get a little bit of a, a hint here at what Jesus Christ is saying. It's like when you're a true disciple of him, you're, you're not worried about, like I said, materialism or money or convenience or comfort. You, you're not worried about what kind of place you're going to sleep or how big your house or small or even if you have a house or an apartment. You're, you're not, those are not the things that are preoccupying your time. Not that those things are wrong to have. I mean, God is so gracious to us to provide us places like that. But that's not, the, that's not the source and the power. That's not the effort of the life. The effort of life is to seek after Christ and draw others to him is the point. And unfortunately today, I think so much because we've had such luxury in the United States of America. We've had such financial uh, prosperity in this country. That I often think many times we have forgotten just how many it wasn't that long ago, hundred years or less. I mean, I, I I think even back to the Great Depression in the United States of America. I think back just 60 years ago, especially in this area, I've done some research. This was a heavily farming populated community. There was a lot of farmers, men and you know, women, hardworking men and women with their hands that that sewn into the ground here. And right outside the capital, Harrisburg, very, you know, rich heritage. And I think we somehow, because of the luxuries or because of, I mean, most of us have a vehicle today. Most of us have multiple vehicles. Most of us, you know, we're not thinking how we're going to eat tonight, right, or, or, or if we're going to eat. And again, I'm not, I'm not berating, any, I'm, I'm, I'm simply stating this is what it's, like for most of us in the United States of America. It really is. But I want to remind the body of Christ that that's not what we necessarily need to seek after. That's that that's something that God is, has blessed, but, but let it not turn into a curse. Because I think sometimes when we do face the oppression, the affliction, and the tribulation, I think sometimes we're... I don't know about you, but I'll speak for... I can become shocked by that. Like, why is this happening to me? Why why, why am I afflicted? Why why do my legs not work like they should like, you know, a couple weeks? What, what's going on? Or, you know, what do you mean this happened to our children? Our... Turn, turn in your Bible to John chapter 16, please. I'd like to draw our attention to verse 33. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, spoke to his disciples very clearly with these words. And they were were meant to comfort us, not to surprise us, and not to, to draw us back into right understanding. Because the believer and the disciple of Christ should never find themselves in a situation where they're more living for the comfort and convenience of the world than they are for the souls that need to be saved in the world. In verse 33, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. If God wouldn't say it's possible to have peace if we couldn't have peace, right? Amen? He says, In the world you will have tribulation. Please underline that in your Bible. Chapter 16, verse 33. In the world you will have tribulation. God is not grammatically uh, challenged. He, he's not saying you may. <laughs> he's telling you every single believer is going to have tribulation. He's not talking about the great tribulation. He's talking about trials, difficulties in life, afflictions, oppression. And, and yet today, I, I know, look, it, it happens to me. We, when, it, when it catches us off guard, it can surprise us, can't it? It, it, can, it can alarm us. Why is this happening? You know, the wrong question. Why hasn't this been happening? Why have I had a reprieve for so many weeks or months, and now I find myself in this situation? It should be the opposite or the inverse of our thinking. But because of such prosperity, because of t- technology, because of all the things we have today, when we are afflicted, or it does cost us something, a loved one, a relationship, a relationship, health situation we, we we find ourselves so shaken lord why would you allow this to happen as though he can't use any of it and all of it for good and for a purpose he never guaranteed or promised the believer or the disciple of christ comfort convenience or any of those things that we might think that go along with materialism or any of that. He didn't, even, he didn't even promise us health. He promised us eternal security. That this life being temporary and whatever happens here, ultimately we will be reunited with our Lord in heaven forever. Forever. And all of the things, and all of the cares, and the pain, and the difficulty, and the trials, and the oppression, and the affliction, and all the things that happen in life, they will be a faint memory. And we'll never have to think upon those things again. That is the hope that Jesus Christ gave us. That is the gospel, and that is what we ought to renew our minds, because there's a lot of people walking around today in the world and claiming believers that are shocked when difficulty arises, as though they've been singled out in the Christian faith. And God is saying, look, in the world you will have tribulation. But then the next, but, the kai, the conjunction in the Greek, right? He says, but, be of good cheer. That, that's everything. It, it, he didn't stop there. Hey, go, go get him, kid. You know, go get him, tiger. No. He, he says, but. Be of good cheer," he says. "I've overcome the world, and you know what that means? Is everybody in me has overcome the world? Because this world is dying; it's perishing." He says, "And those in Him, we're never going to face that. Isn't that wonderful! I mean, that's that's the hope we have. That's everything. That's why that's why we're not like losing our minds." That's how why we're, you know, lose it. We have days. I don't know. I have days where I contemplate that. But, but, but in reality, we're not. Because God is so good. And he's so loving. And he literally is guaranteed eternal security and eternal salvation. And all this will be a faint memory. But he says, look, when you're a disciple, these things needs be. These things are going to be normal. And again, there's nothing wrong with having nice things and the Lord allows it. You're just not worshiping those things. Right? They hear, Like Paul says, I can be abased and I can have much. I, I don't care. I'm content in either situation. You know, I don't want everybody walking out of here and you're like, well, that's it. I refuse to eat food and, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not driving my car. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, be walking. every. no. That's not what the Lord's saying. As a matter of fact, if if you are entrusted with that wealth and you're not committing idolatry, it's because He's trusting you because He's allowed. He knows you can handle it. You're not going to abuse it. You're not going to allow it to become the thing that uh, trips you up or stumbles you. He certainly wouldn't ensnare somebody that way or want to ensnare someone that way. But I think we ought to be sensitive to that. That realize well, it's possible. And and in this particular case, this man was concerned about his inheritance. And because he was so concerned about his inheritance, he was willing to turn around and say, Lord, I can't follow you right now. I won't be a disciple now. I I want the fire insurance. You're my savior. Lordship, eh, maybe in 10 years when dad's mom's no longer here, you know, then let's talk. I'll follow you then. He's making it really clear, isn't he? the the priority is Jesus even over financial security which if we're being honest for a lot of us that's a big deal that's a big deal it's like saying it's like saying well you know i had a pension but i don't care if i have a pension okay not worried about it it's there it's not there eh, it doesn't change anything for me I'm still following Jesus he says let the dead bury their own dead but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Why would he say it like that? He's not talking about a physical body, like the man's actually like, hey, my dad is dead already. He wouldn't say it that way. Jesus wouldn't respond that way. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, look, let the spiritually dead, that's what he's talking about here, right? Bury their own. In other words, let let the spiritual dead do what the spiritual dead do. They're they're interested in the matters and the cares and the things of this life. He says, but you, disciples, Believer in Christ, servant of the Most High God. You who are spiritually alive, born again, John chapter 3. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are blood-bought, doulos or dolos in the Greek, a bondservant. You, I'm talking to, he says. You and go, you go. Just like he said in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, Go and preach the kingdom of God. Of God, he says, "You go do what spiritually alive people do: live for Jesus, preach Jesus." He says, "Don't concern yourself with the spiritual dead things of this world." He says, "That's all just an anchor, and it'll pull you down. You are spiritually alive. You go do what spiritually alive people do: you preach the you preach the kingdom of God, you preach the Lord." And another also said, "Lord, I will follow you, but let me go first and bid them farewell who are at my." house now this other person it's not like he's saying let me go say bye to mom and dad or sissy or you know bro bro that's not That's not what he that's not what he's saying here right this person is saying hey let me go back to my town let me go to my village let me go to my let me uh let me see what the family thinks about this is this a good idea should i do it should i not do it what do you think you know it's almost like they're going to take a popularity contest Should I do this? It's a poll. Follow Jesus. Don't follow Jesus. Be all in. Don't be all in. What do you all think? (laughs) If you're asking that question, your eyes are not on Jesus. The only person you ought to care who thinks about what he's showing you to do is Jesus himself. Not public opinion. Okay? Not public opinion here. He says, let me go bid farewell. I want my family's blessing maybe. Maybe he's even saying it that way. No. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Anybody's concern for what their family thinks, what people think, are looking away and not looking at Jesus and not counting the cost and not willing to fully walk walk after him. So three important principles that we 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 see here is comfort and financial security. You know, in the ministry, and you're all a royal priesthood, a precious people, there's no guarantee. And you shouldn't look for one. And you shouldn't be looking for one. God will provide. Where God guides, He provides, and He'll provide for your needs. The second one is the blessing. Well, it's nice to have from family and friends and others around you. Not a popularity contest. Seek Jesus. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. He'll show you what he has for you and where you're to go. And the third is no matter what, keep following Jesus, right? Burn the plow, right? Anybody, the plow, you know, the, the, the old, uh, like uh, Elisha. He burned the plow. There was nothing to go back to. He's going right after Jesus. Burn that plow because he's saying anyone that's got his foot in the world, or sorry, his foot in the kingdom and his foot in the world and keeps looking back. He says, that's the man or woman that's going to stand before Jesus one day and hear, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I did not know you. And that's why it's going to be such a shock. And you reread that passage, it's shocking when we read that. Why else would Jesus say that? Because they were saying, Lord, Lord. They knew who he was. They claimed to even believe in him. They just were unwilling to truly follow him. Do you are do do you, tracking with me how how... Interesting that is, that we would say, yes, I believe you. Yes, I say that I want to follow after you, but then I don't do the things you've commanded me to do. Do I really believe you then? And am I really following you? Or am I following what I perceive and sort of doing it as sort of this halfway thing? I don't know what to call that. And again, nobody can answer that for you. I'm not condemning anybody here or anything like that. First of all, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. But if it be a conviction, we ought to examine our own hearts. I examine my heart and say, Lord, after these things, the Lord appointed 70. Others also and sent them out two by two. I like this. It's Deuteronomy 19.15 and Ecclesiastes 4.9 and 10. Why? What I mean by that is... In Deuteronomy 19, it says, look, send them out too, right? There are two or three witnesses. You shall know truth by bearing witness to two or three witnesses. It's exactly what Jesus does. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 19 and 10, it's often used in a wedding ceremony. I'll use it a lot of times when I'm doing a wedding ceremony. And it's about a threefold cord. It's not easily broken, right? But it speaks about also a brother. If a brother should fall, you're able to stoop down and pick up a brother. If a sister should fall, you sit down and pick up a sister, Right? Because a threefold cord, Jesus being the center, wrapped and twined, is not easily broken. And so Jesus, I like this. I mean, when you go out and you evangelize and you witness, you street. When I came down here seven years ago, first place I went was downtown Harrisburg. And there was a a couple guys that met me. And we went out and we street witnessed and we were talking to people down there. And it was wonderful because you're two by two or two by six, whatever many people come. Why? Because as you're giving the gospel, that that other guy or the guy, what is she doing? She's praying. She's praying at that moment for an opportunity for that person to receive Jesus. It makes all the sense why the Lord would do this this way. It's beautiful. And, And I love to see it that way. Two by two. And it says, send them out two by two, his face in every city and place where he himself is about to go. It's a blessing and a privilege to go before our Lord. Then he said to them, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. He's saying the harvest, the, the field is ripe. But he said the laborers, those truly, the disciples, not those that just claim to be a born again believer. He says the, the laborer, the person that's really walking this out. He says they're few, there's not a lot. Therefore pray, the first thing Jesus tells him, pray, seek our heavenly Father. That the Lord of the harvest, isn't that wonderful? He reminds us whose harvest it is. It's the Lord's, it's our Father's. Right? And by the way, he says this, uh, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, it's almost a proverb. He keeps saying this over and over again, this, this uh, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send labors out into his, it's a proverb for him at this point. Jesus is saying it almost as a proverb. Go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. That ought to be the expectation. We're being sent out, or you're being sent out, among wolves, those that are in the world, those that want to destroy and devour. It shouldn't be, again, a shock to the believer. He says, Carry neither money bag, nor knapsack, nor sandals. He, he's talking, don't, don't be distracted with materialism. Don't become reliant on those things that you think you need those for ministry. Some guys won't go out and plant churches or they won't, they won't do what the Lord's showing them because they, they need, you know, $50,000 in their pocket before they go. Step in faith and watch what the Lord will do. You know, when I came down here, I didn't know we sold our house. We sold our- I didn't know what was going to happen. It was wonderful because I used it as a moment, not as a fleece necessarily. But I, Lord, if you're in this, you're going you're gonna to provide. And before I could even try to relocate to look for a job... The, my boss at Microsoft said, hey, by the way, where are you at? I used to cover the Northeast Territory for them. Where are you at? I am oh, I'm, I'm in Pennsylvania. I'm in the Mid-Atlantic. He said, I just want to talk to you about that. I could use, a, you know, a, a technical specialist in Pennsylvania. Would you, would you cover all the way up to North Carolina? Would you mind doing that for me? Uh, yes. What do you say to that? I mean, he'd already provided. We'll we'll take care of everything for you. Just, you're you know. God, Lord, I mean, you can't make that up. That where God guides, he provides, he goes ahead of you like that. And you just, you're simply like, okay, Lord, I'm obedient. I'm stepping one foot in front of the other. It's so beautiful when he does that. And and then comes the next step of faith. All right, you're leaving Microsoft. You can't see how it's out in front of you. There's a big, you know, it feels like you're stepping off a cliff. And you know what? Yeah, I'm not encouraging this, but Indiana Jones, remember that old, there's like a little bridge, but you couldn't see it until the side view. And he takes a step and all of a sudden he thinks, I'm going to fall. And what's he do? Just takes the next step, next step, and next step right in front of him. That's the joy of following the Lord is that even when you can't see it, he goes before you so vehemently, so beautifully that you can't comprehend it intellectually and yet when you take the step no matter how afraid you are and you don't need to be afraid but but it happens and you take that step and all of a sudden it's okay i'm okay we're gonna be okay especially when you're a husband and you're thinking about your children and everything you know i, I had four boys i have my wife what, yeah. and the lord says no they're mine before they were ever you they're mine you be obedient okay lord he says, I'm sending you to Wolveslow. Understand that. I'm not sending, you to the, to, to, <laughs> not sending you to this place where it's going to be peachy keen all the time. And he says, no. He says, understand what you're doing. Understand, understand who you're going to be around. He says, carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals. Don't worry about your provisions. And greet no one along the road. This is an introvert's dream when you get to that passage, right? Greet no one along the road. Absolutely. Check. That's not what he's saying. If you 2,000 years ago, if you would have gone into a typical host-guest situation, uh, you know, I, I pray we do this today. You know, after service, maybe you get together and you have brunch together, you eat together, you have fun together. You know, you just get together because you like to be together. And uh, but in those days, if you were traveling the road, somebody would see, you. oh, hey, man, how you doing? good. It didn't just end there. Like we would say, how are you doing? Good. And we keep our going, right? Especially if you have somewhere to be. Oh, no, no, no. Come on. You're coming back to my house. Oh, uh, yeah. You know what? Go ahead. You know, we're going to make the meal. We're going to have a whole, or they're going to cook it right then and there. There's no takeout. You know, we're going to do it right here. We're going to, four hours later. Oh, by the way, we're going to wash your feet, you know, because as a good host, we're going to anoint you with oil as a good host would have done. You're six hours in and you just met the first guy in the town, you know, or somebody that even kind of recognizes you. Hey, you look like a friendly stranger. Come on over. How does any ministry happen if you do that every single time? I mean, you'll go, you come back out, you go out, you, you what, you minister to four people in like, you know, six days. So he's saying, look, put, put off with the etiquette portion. You don't need to, every single person you greet, you don't need to, okay, I'm going to come back to yours. I'm going to spend that. No, there's an urgency. I'm coming. I'm coming, right? There's an urgency for today. He's coming again. And we have no idea how soon. He says soon. And so if he says soon, there's an urgency. We ought to have that same spirit in us to be doing these things. Doing what? Preaching the word of God, living the word of God, giving the word of God. Because there's a there's a we just don't know how much time we ought to live that way. An urgency. They were living that way because Jesus had told them, I'm going to be crucified. So there was an urgency within six months. So he's he's telling them about this, right? So and and he says, and and whatever whatever house you enter first say, peace to this house. Notice these and say, and if you find a place to stay. I, I've never seen a situation where you do good for others and you're blessing and you're doing the work of the Lord that somehow God doesn't take care of you and put you, whether it's up at a uh, to stay with another roommate or something. God provides. He says, but when you come to a house, go, go to that house and say, peace to this house. And if the son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. The idea here is if it's peaceable, if it's a quiet house, there's no contention, then the house, you say peace and the peace will stay in the house because it's quiet. You can devote you can do study you can just enjoy being there it's not constantly contagious you know contentious i mean we read the proverb that talks about uh, for women in a you know a contentious house a woman can be contentious if she's contentious like that it can destroy a house well guys guess what pay attention here right we so quickly remember that one how about this guys he's he's talking about a guy can be contentious too in the house and if that contention's there, then the peace can't stay upon that house. Is it a place where peace is welcomed? God's peace. If not, it will return to you and remain in that same house, eat and drinking such as the things you give, for the labor is worthy of his wages. It's not charity. God will provide, he will, he will do it. It's not charity. You can't outgive God, is what he's saying here. You can't outgive God. You know, there's never going to be a situation where a pastor can stand up and say, God, you owe me. You take that step of faith, God's going to bless your socks off. You'll be proven. You'll never owe the Lord. I've never been in a situation where, okay, Lord, not that I haven't tested that. I have seen that it's good. You can't outgive give God. But you all know what I'm talking about there. You just can't. He'll never let you be, never let you be in that situation where you can say to God, you owe me. Never let, a good father wouldn't let you be in that situation. Do not go from house to house. In other words, to better your, 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 you know, your situation, your deal there. Whatever city you enter, as they receive you, eat such things as set before you and heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The, the healing is the proof, right? Because that means that kind of opens the door, prepares hearts for the message. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out in its streets and say, this very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in the day for Sodom than for this city. Again, the idea that people are going to reject, it's an expectation. People will reject Jesus Christ. But there's cities that have not heard Jesus yet. Don't focus on the rejection keep moving right keep putting one foot in front of the other in faith keep giving the gospel and keep her helping others even if you've been hurt even if you've put yourself out there i know there was a young person one time she puts herself out there she tries to be good friends and and then their friends take advantage of her and they miss you you know they amuse her of you know uh, not ab- uh, physically but you know taking advantage of her, betraying her trust and doing these things. She says, Pastor, I don't know. Why do I even do this? And I said, because you're being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. They don't do this to you. They're doing this to Jesus. And I said, you're just feeling some of the weight of what it is to reject Jesus Christ or to feel that rejection. He says, it's going to be worse, and it would have been more tolerable in the days of Sodom. You know, that's just sin city. Um, Why would he say that? Do you realize the prophets of old didn't have the new covenant, the New Testament, you and I have? Some of you, I hope all of you have Bibles sitting on your laps right now. Do you know even 100 years ago, 150, 200, you didn't have Bibles everywhere. You had the full counsel of the word of the Lord in front of you. And it says very clearly in Scripture, much is given, much is required. Right? So there, there's an accountability. There's a responsibility there. We've been given the full revelation of Jesus Christ. We need to respond that way. Woe to you, Corzine. Woe to you, Bethsaida. By the way, Bible silent on what happened there. We don't know. And tells us that, you know, John's account tells us that, you know, even all the writings couldn't possibly have been captured in all the books of the world. There's so much that Jesus did. But the Holy Spirit chose particular accounts to pull out for you and I today. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which again, by the way, are pagan cities, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes, but it will be more tolerable... For, for Tyre and Sidon, and the judgment then for you. Please don't ignore those words. Jesus isn't grammatically challenged. Please don't be upset with me. This is not me. This is the word of the Lord. I'm reading the word of God to you here. We're reading it together. This is very real. We in America, especially today, we have, like I said, been given the full counsel of God. We There's not a single American that's without excuse. There's not a single person alive that's without excuse that we can't open our Bible. And how many Bibles do most of us own? How many translations do you have? How many commentaries do you have in a library? How many audio? A podcast can you listen to how much radio ministries out there how much audio video ministries out there it is pervasive in this generation because of the technology and everything we and unlike in any other time alive we didn't even have this technology 30 years ago i don't even think the internet was there 40 years ago 35 years ago i know i didn't have it when i was a kid they had the bulletin boards back then but they didn't have the internet as we would know it today Just think about it. You literally want to know a Greek translation of the word. You can go to Blue Letter Bible. And within a minute you can literally see the Hebrew or the Greek translation. In common language. Much is given. Much is required. I just want us to take that in and examine our hearts with the Lord. My. There's no other generation. Like the generations we're living in that has this full revelation. He says that it's going to be more tolerable. For those entire inside, and those of our pagan nations that worship false gods, it's gonna be more tolerable for them than those that reject Jesus Christ with all the knowledge and the full revelation that's available today. And you, Capernaum, oh, why does he pick on Capernaum? Because after he left Nazareth, Capernaum, I'll get it out, Capernaum became his ministry headquarters. Who are exalted to heaven. He says, Capernaum, you were exalted up to heaven that way. He says, you're going to be brought down to Hades. You saw the miracles. You heard the testimonies. You saw the truth. He who hears me, right? He says, he who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. I don't think there's anything stronger that Jesus could declare in the Word of God than what we just heard. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. Lest we walk out of here scared for our salvation because God is a secure God with salvation. He's he's guaranteed our our eternal security. I want to invite the worship team to come forward and musicians to come forward. We're going to worship our Lord. But I want us to all take this in. This is the word of the Lord. We all claim to believe this, that are believers in Christ. We have this. We must be doers We must not just be hearers. We must live. We must let this word and the Lord Jesus Christ change, conform the likeness and image, change us to the very likeness and image of Jesus Christ. We must let him do that good work that he's begun. He's he's, he's a gentleman. He's never going to force himself upon us. We must let go, surrender, and ask him, Lord, do that good work in me, even when it's uncomfortable. Even when it causes rejection, even when it means I go without, Even even when it means I suffer and I face affliction and persecution, Lord, you are worthy. Worthy is the Lamb of God who was slain before the very foundations of the earth. Father, we love you. Lord, I don't know what else to say as you overheard God. You deserve all the glory and honor. Please receive our praise and our worship now, Lord. We love you. You are our first love. In your name, we pray these things by the power and authority of our Father and Scripture, the name of Jesus Christ. There is no other name. All good, all God's men and women praise. And all God's people pray. Amen.
1: Chasm that lay between us, how high the mountains I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into. Savior, I'm yours forever, Jesus Christ, my living hope, Hallelujah. degree has no claim on me jesus yours is the victory hallelujah praise the one who set me free hallelujah death has lost its grip on me you have broken every chain there's salvation in your name Christ my living hope Hallelujah Praise the one who set me free Hallelujah Death has lost its grip on me You have broken every chain There's salvation in my name Jesus Christ my living Jesus Christ, my living. Hope.
0: We have an amazing Lord and Savior. We really do. Lord, thank you. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for your word this morning that's empowered our very souls. Thank you for the fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray Lord, every nation and tongue would come to know you, Lord. Come to know you in such a real way, Jesus. We love you, Father. We pray all this in your holy name. Our good, good Father. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great day.